0: Hi, I'm David Cross, and you might know me from all the work I've done on election integrity, but you may not know that I
1: own U.S. Asset Management, an investment advisory company where our job is to help you make better decisions with your money. One of the things we won't do is invest your money with big companies that are trying to push the woke agenda. If you have your money invested with one of the big firms, there's a pretty good chance your money is feeding the beast that hates your values. Our company is 100% conservative, and we'd love to have an opportunity to work with you. Look up U.S. Asset Management at
0: us-am.com. Hi, everybody. I'm Christine Golan, and this is uh, CD Media's Global Conversation in Plain Sight. And today we're um, going to be discussing something that happened in Washington, D.C. this week that has implications all over the world, and it has to do with freedom of speech, censorship. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. testified before Congress this week and was actually, at the very beginning of the hearing, there was an attempt to censor him and to shut down his testimony and take it into executive session. So we have invited Noelle Callahan, who is the Government Relations Manager for Children's Health Defense. And most importantly, she was a witness to what was going on in the room. She was seated in the the second row with Laura Bono, who is the Executive Director of Children's Health Defense. So, Noelle, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Christine. We appreciate it.
0: So let's give everybody a little bit of your background, because when we say government relations, that means you're knocking on the door, trying to educate people up on Capitol Hill and define the message so that they can understand it. And your background, uh, you have done this advocacy government relations work for over over a decade. And you've focused on animal protection as well as health. And, you know, let's talk about how you got into doing this work now for Children's Health Defense, because I think it's important for audiences, for people in the audience to know that sometimes some people don't see what's really going on. And then there's an epiphany moment because of their background. What was yours in 2020, 2021?
1: Yeah, it's, you know, thank you for asking. You know, I in pretty early 2020, I mean, I was questioning what was happening with the pandemic. Um, It seemed very crazy to me. Um, And I watched Plandemic early in 2020. And when I watched it, none of it was a surprise to me. And Mm -hmm. that was due to my kind of previous experience, you know, working, as you said, in animal protection. So for years and years, I've been fighting to you know, hold up oversight and accountability at um, NIH in particular, but other government agencies as well. You know, they are responsible for a lot of the animal um, experimentation really across the globe, not just here in the United States. And one of the particular projects that I worked on early um, was getting uh, the use of chimpanzees to end in experimentation. And so NIH officially decided that they were going to end the use of chimpanzees and experimentation in 2015, and that they would send all of these government-owned chimpanzees to sanctuary. Well, go another 10 years out, and I end up working on that issue again. And these chimpanzees in New Mexico, and there were multiple, you know, chimpanzees at other labs as well, are still sitting in that lab um, on Holloman Air Force Base. Uh, even though NIH said they were going to send them all. So they wanted to, I think what they wanted to do was to appease the pharmaceutical company. Um, it was a pharmaceutical company that, you know, was responsible for their, um, I'd say care, but that's, you know, kind of, <laughs> I don't know if that's the most appropriate. For the, over,
0: for the oversight of torture uh, and then experimenting. Yes, they were
1: getting money from that. So they kind of dragged their feet, spent a lot of time and then said, oh, these animals are too sick to send to sanctuary, we're not going to send them. You know, throughout this whole process, you know, trying to get government or documents through FOIA, grants, any kind of inkling about what was happening in that laboratory was very challenging. So when I heard, you know, that Fauci and NIAID, oh, there's all these problems and they're lying about things over here. It didn't surprise me at all. Um, And then, you know, not too long after, I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to come to Children's Health Defense. And it was a big change. You know, I had... Been in a leadership position at my current organization. I had spent over a decade working on animal protection, but the idea that we were losing our civil liberties, you know, we had to fight for these freedoms, which we should automatically have. Um, well, we do
0: have them, which is people want to take it away yeah, from
1: Exactly. Us. I mean, it seemed like life or death to me, like literally. And that seemed much more important than, you know, trying to protect animals, quite frankly. If we can't protect ourselves, I don't know how we can protect others. Um,
0: So before we move on, because I want people to understand, this is a billion-dollar business for animal clinical trials. And, you know, I remember back in the, I think it was the 60s that they were using horses uh, for some of the experiments, and then they, you know, allegedly got rid of and and I say this as somebody who's been an equestrian all my life. Yeah, me um, too. You know, it, it's when you start talking about the beagles and the dogs, and, and it's not. You know, I I think I think of Jane and the chimpanzees that she saved, you know, with the sanctuaries in Africa, and so it, it's just. It's you know, for those of us who love animals, it's a little bit rough when you think about the experiments and the torture that they've used. Let's talk about the Beagle story, because you brought the Beagle story to Children's Health Defense about what Fauci was doing with the Beagles, which has been in the news now for, I guess, six or seven, eight months. Talk about the Beagle story, because I, th- I think that people need, I mean, there, there were pictures out there of the Beagles, you know, with the, the headdresses on. Yeah. And they were, they were, bugs were uh, biting them.
1: Is yeah. That- yes. Well, first, let me clarify. So White Coat Waste Project which is a relative that had worked for White Coat Waste Project. They brought out after I had left, um, mm-hmm. the Beagle story was one of the stories. I worked on a diff- multiple other issues there. One of them was USDA um, using kittens and then killing them unnecessarily, even though they were healthy and could be adopted out. But the Beagle story, you know, it's people love dogs ac- across the board, right? Um, and And what happens essentially with these All of these, you know, experiments, um, or most, many of them, I would, I would submit to you probably all of them, you know, they spend a lot of money, they um, torture a lot of animals, and then they don't necessarily have results, right? If you think about how long we've been trying to find a cure for cancer, or if you look at um, HIV and AIDS epidemic, I mean, that's why chimpanzees were bred. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of them, we had over a thousand in this country owned by the government. Um, at one point. And then they realized, oh, they don't, you know, they aren't a good um, model for this human disease. And, you know, there's a whole nother story, as you know, in um, Bobby Kennedy's book, The Real Anthony Fauci, that really delves into the AIDS crisis and all the corruption right? and all of, you know, the drugs that didn't literally like kill people. Um, So I think if anyone, it's a big book to read, But if you have the opportunity to, it really sets the stage for where we're at, at least as far as, you know, this lack of agency oversight and regulatory capture. And, you know, Tony Fauci was a good architect of of that situation that we're in now.
0: For a long period of time too, 50 years in the same job. You know, I have to ask you, because I'm I'm curious about this, because um, there probably is a transition between how these scientists use the animals and how they view human beings in terms of ex- medical experiments. Did you find, because I, I really am an animal lover, did you find the, the people in that sphere having no compassion for the animals or is it just another commodity for the ends justifies the means in the name of science?
1: I I think it's probably a combination. I, I mean, you know, I've talked to this really amazing researcher who was originally, you know, worked and experimented on primates for years. And he went in as an animal lover and with lots of compassion. And when he got to his first lab that he had to run, they basically, um, they, I don't know even how to put it, you know, they took that from him. They, you know, made him understand that like, look, we can't have compassion. You have to experiment on these animals. You need to switch that off. And he was trained how to do that. So when they get in, if they get in someone, you know, like you or I, or a lot of people, right, that are compassionate, they love animals, they want to help animals, and they end up, you know, doing animal research, they really have to have a lot of impact. Um, you know, you could say brainwashing for a lack of better word. There's probably better words to describe it. And Commod-
0: psychologically commodifying them yes. or, or making them commodify and it's, it's, animals.
1: And this, you know, their death or their um, experience justifies the ends, the means to the end. Right. Which is exactly what you just said. But I, I would submit we've done a lot of, you know, we've cured cancer in mice many times over, many, mm-hmm. many times over. And you mentioned the horses. So that's an interesting case, because what they did is they were taking urine from the mares. And using it for hormone replacement therapy. So that's they right. don't do that in the US anymore, but they do in other places. That's and so right. And that's
0: happens. and that and that's that's kind of like when people have to think about this. So they may outlaw in one country, but yeah. they're gonna pick it up. And that's part of the reason why they have these labs
1: exactly.
0: involved with bioweapon research, exactly. whether it is defensive or offensive, which is nothing more than a calculated use of words to deflect the fact that this is dangerous, unregulated entity called bioweapon resource. That's
1: exactly right.
0: Yeah, so it's it's very clever. It's very clever.
1: It is. And, you know, we spend, we as in the federal government, NIH, sends a lot of that money overseas. So, you know, we have some animal welfare standards. You know, they aren't great, but they're better than a lot of other countries. Um, You know, China, for example, their standards are. And so we support that, but then we say, we pretend as though we have these very high standards for animal research, even though we're supporting it. You know, where it isn't good standards in other places. So, well, this
0: brings us to to the transition because what we're talking about is hypocrisy at the at the very depth of this. And this past Wednesday, I believe it was, when First. I was wa- Thursday, when I was watching the um, testimony and. I, I I was pretty stunned as a seasoned journalist who's lived in and out of D.C. for decades uh, that the opening statement by the Virginia Island Congresswoman, because, you know, I know from my human trafficking investigation that she took campaign donations from the infamous late Jeffrey Epstein. And so when she began attacking Bobby, and then we went down the line of the Democrats, and I don't mean to make this partisan, but it it was partisan by the Democrats because it was pretty consistent when they were making statements or they were addressing the the comments to Bobby personally and attacking him, defaming him, taking his words out of context. And then they also, I, I noticed how they they would direct some of their questions to Wiley who ran for the she was she was a candidate for the new york uh, city mayor's race several years ago so i thought that that was just interesting how structured it was because it reminded me very much of the january 6th hearing Uh, all those hearings and and i say this as somebody who's, who's been in the business for a long period of time you know that january 6th hearing was was not the typical select committee rules functioning body that it was supposed to be. They hired the former ABC president, who's a documentary maker uh, to produce that event, all those, all those hearings. And they also hired uh, one of the gentlemen who signed one of the 51 intelligence officials who signed the Hunter, laptop letter saying that the laptop was disinformation. So I was looking for the controls and the production style of the hearing on Thursday. And when it jumped out of the box for the attacks, I thought, wow, this is interesting. They're not gonna hold back. And I thought it, I thought it was great that Bobby had a great opening statement. He actually was very practical. He was asking for certain things in that statement uh, to dissipate the partisanship and the weaponizing by the US government uh, of censorship so that we can have conversations and we, yeah. a policy can come out of differences. But what was it like, Noel, for you sitting in there? Did you expect it to be, I mean, you deal with these people on Capitol Hill. Did you expect it to be like a slap across the face from the beginning?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. You know, on the one hand, it was very exciting. I mean, it was a historic event, right? Um, And Bobby being able to have the opportunity to actually address so many of these issues that he's been silenced for. um, I was pretty shocked that, you know, I only found out at the hearing that about half of the Democrats in the House of Representatives sent a letter a few days ahead to Speakers McCarthy and Chairman Jordan asking them to disinvite Bobby claiming that he wasn't, you know, anti semite. Um, it it was shocking. I mean, just
0: and two, was, I, think, I think that they released it. I think it was Wednesday. Uh, well, the hearing was Thursday, right? So the they, they released Thursday, it yeah. the day before. I think I found out about it. But the fact that they made such a point of it, and the people that were on that were people some of whom were from Massachusetts, some of them that belong to no labels that's supposed to have the practical solutions across the aisles. Uh, Gosheimer uh, signed it as well as uh, Auchincloss from Massachusetts. I mean, it, it was to me, you know, let's, let's throw the kitchen sink. It, it almost looked like lawyers playing a stupid legal game.
1: Yes. Let's throw the kitchen sink yes.
0: and see what sticks. You know, the, yeah. calling Bobby a racist, calling Bobby anti-Semitic. Yeah. I, I I mean, taking his statements out of context. So tell us what it was they like do. in the room. Yeah.
1: I mean, and then as you pointed out, they did a second attempt, right? They tried to get this into executive committee and mm-hmm. that would mean usually they only do that for very high security, you know, conversations. And so that means that, only the members of Congress and the witnesses are there. No media. And there was a ton of media there, more than I've seen at any other hearing, and none of the other, you know, none of the public, basically.
0: Well, there um, would have been no C-SPAN coverage.
1: Yes. Nobody would mm-hmm. know, right? Mm-hmm. All be secret. And that is the whole point of all of these tactics, right, is to, I mean, they're censoring Bobby Kennedy, and everyone else at a censorship hearing. I mean, Massey, the Republican member from Kentucky, said it perfectly. He's like, what did he say? I'm going to read it here because it's so good. It was good. The irony and cognitive dissonance from the other side of the aisle is deafening. You can cut it with a knife. Uh, and And it was. I mean, it was it was definitely, you know, they cranked it up a lot from other hearings I've been in. So I've been going to all of these hearings that are relevant to, you know, CHD's mission. And a lot of that right now is trying to encourage oversight and make sure these offices know what happened during the pandemic and how these policies are bad and we cannot use them moving forward. So in all of the hearings that I've been to, there has been pretty high level of, you know, again, you know, we're a nonpartisan organization, but it's, it's, you know, you, all you have to do is watch these hearings. You know, the, the Democrats essentially going after witnesses like Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger at the Twitter file hearing. I mean, it's, it's shocking. I mean, and these are people that are in their party
0: well, not not only that, but it didn't stop at the hearing for Tabibi because he, you yeah. know the IRS knocked on his door. What yes. was it the same the same day of the yeah. hearing or something like that? Yes, I mean it, yeah. it's 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 a relentless, you know. We're going to scare the hell out of you. We're going to try to intimidate you. Yeah, I mean you almost have to have a sense of humor and say, "Oh, is this the best you, you guys can do?" Because. It it is so vital to democracy. And Bobby said it so eloquently when he said that, you know, we were able to do this in in the late 1700s. And then, you know, as time, as history progressed, other countries joined afoot for the concept of freedom of speech, even though we don't really have it you know freedom of press is different in different countries they have their own rules and regulations in kazakhstan you can't even report on government corruption but there there are places where the value of freedom of speech is upheld and if you don't have that you don't have a democracy and if that's one that and that is one of our foundations of the us constitution so if we lose that we don't, have, we, we don't have a liberal democracy, we don't have a republic, we, we, we don't have a country. Yeah, And we can't lead, that's, that's the thing I think of the value. People have looked to us in the past in the United States to be able to lead. So the reaction in the audience was, I mean, did they have the same one that I had that you had sort of like as they went down the line with the question and you're saying, really?
1: Yeah, I I think so. You know, I was in the second row, so I couldn't see everybody. But, you know, there were multiple times that people clapped, um, in particular when Bobby spoke, which I haven't seen in a hearing. Um, I one of the yeah, it is uh, some people I were sitting next to, I think, were very shocked at how at the amount of attacks. I mean, that's really all they have that they can do is attack him personally because they don't have any facts to. go to. So they do these personal attacks. um, And it's pretty horrifying. I think the other thing that's really concerning is, you know, this committee is set up for oversight Mm -hmm. to look at the federal government and how it was used inappropriately during the pandemic with all of these awful policies and hold these agencies and administrators accountable, but there doesn't seem to be any interest in that. I mean, in, in many of the hearings, including this one that I've been to, there's a lot of, you know, from, again, from, from the Democrats, you know, they're applauding the agencies and the agency officials. And, you know, someone in this last hearing was basically suggesting that Republicans were bullying big tech, bullying big tech. I know. Yeah. Yeah. They don't even make sense.
0: That was that was in the press release from I think it was Wasserman, Congresswoman Wasserman, who really looked foolish because I mean she's the woman who was head of the DNC going after Bernie Sanders in two thousand sixteen, yeah, um, and and icing him out for, for Hillary's nomination, but you know it, it just it, it the whole thing was just astounding to me because. They wouldn't, they would They would knock Bobby. They weren't asking questions. They didn't want him to respond. They would call back their time. I mean, it, was, it wasn't It was just let's put you in executive committee and, and not let the public hear, but it was also the tactic of how to, if they couldn't, if they lost at that, which they did, then how they were going to handle him. So it was all about making ac- accusations without giving him the time to come back and actually address those although he would he, know, he did it significantly well in spite of all the attempts to shut him up.
1: Yeah he was it was incredible. I mean it's his ability to maintain his composure and just address <laughs> the thing in hand is, is remarkable to me and I think the other thing is you know what they and they've done this in all, most of the hearings again that I've been to is they you know they have the majority has two or three witnesses and then the minority, in this case it's the democrats they have a witness so that was their witness wiley was their witness so they asked her a lot of questions but they don't ask the other witnesses often any questions which is it's like that's the whole purpose of the hearing like i don't understand it's just it's disappointing on a lot of different levels i mean we're trying to get to the root of the problem and everyone says that they don't want this polarization and yet censorship it creates that. I mean, it's a huge issue, as you pointed out. Like, if we don't, if we have censorship, everything else, in a way, doesn't matter. We can't tell the truth about anything. People are afraid. I mean, it's very scary. And, you know, there's a, it's all about narrative control.
0: It is, it is. And, you know, it's a good choice of words, because at one point during the hearing, Bobby leaned in and said to them, if you think, that using censorship is going to, I'm paraphrasing, but using censorship is going to fix the polarization that everybody's complaining about. You know, I hate to, Bobby said, I hate to tell you, but that's not going to work. And he's absolutely correct about that. Yeah. What are you hearing, Noelle, when you you talk to, and I don't want to get into your private conversations, you know, to reveal anything, to make it sensitive for you, but what are you hearing when you talk to people on the Hill? Because you've been up on the Hill before. I mean, do, do... Do people whisper and say, yes, we know this is wrong and we have to do something about it? Or, you know, because I hear from people who are involved with the FISA issue, Uh you know, you've got the ACLU and you've got other people on the opposite side of the table. But together, they're all saying, hey, we have to do something about the FISA because it was misused during the, the, uh, you know, the the 2016 um, campaign. What are you hearing about this, the whispers on the Hill? Do they really want to fix this, or are they just so stupid they don't know how to do it? Because and they're afraid that they're going to lose power.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it depends on who you're talking about. I mean, I'll be very forthcoming. Is I have not had, I've had very few conversations with Democratic offices, and that's only because I mean, I would love to talk to them. Part of the challenge is, you know, figuring out where, and I, I think there are. and or will be opportunities at some point, Um, you know, where can we agree on some of these things and and have some progress? Um, You know, for example, there's a a Democrat who was a co-sponsor of a bill to pause um, gain-of-function research. Mm -hmm. Like, great, Um, you know, that seems like an opportunity. I've been primarily talking to, you know, Republican offices. I've been talking to offices that are, are seem willing or at least interested in carrying the water and making these things happen and in, in having oversight in looking at, you know, what happened during the pandemic, seeing what can be fixed, right. uh, not censoring, you know, the public, doctors, healthcare workers, nurses. I mean, think, I mean, millions of people, as I believe Sauer said on, um, you know, during the hearing.
0: Millions explain, of No, Explain, well, explain to the audience who... Uh, oh, yes, I'm he was the He was one of the four witnesses, yes. the lawyer that's involved with the Missouri...
1: Yeah, Missouri versus Biden case, um, which is a, a incredible case. Essentially, what has happened is a judge uh, had... Because of this case, so this case was basically all about the administration, the government's control over censoring and the collusion with social media. So social media and corporate media are are two of the players who's controlling the narrative, right? So the administration worked, there's loads of evidence, so not unlike the Twitter files and worked to censor, you know, speech that they didn't like. And sometimes it was true speech. Often it was true speech. Right, um, and so it's a huge case, and they have a ton of data. And he said that you know millions of Americans had been censored, um, which
0: is shocking. I mean, it's well, it's not. It's not only shocking, but for somebody like me who's who's been around for a long period of time, we don't have this type of coordination between the federal government and big tech on yeah. Americans. Now we have had that during Arab rising, pre-Arab rising, big tech people. Train the civil societies or civil dissidents overseas to not hold their leaders accountable, but to overthrow the despots right, yeah. deemed so by the U.S. foreign um, for foreign po- U.S. foreign policy reasons, under the auspices of Hillary Clinton, Leon Panetta, with a wink and a nod of Obama uh, pre-arab rising. So what's ha- what I take a look at is what's happened here in the United States as of 2020 is they've just flipped that card and they've decided to do it on steroids. Here in the United States, but the coordination between people at the White House are Scott Gottlieb, who used to be at the FDA, who's now on the Pfizer board, and I can't remember if he went to the lobbyists for Twitter or for Facebook. But basically, he went to one of them and said, basically, you know, censor so and so, and that's just wrong. That's wrong when you've got when you have people in Washington D.C. basically attacking people. It's as wrong to me as when. Um, Trudeau and Freeland in Canada froze the bank accounts in February of 2022 with the, with the Canadian convoys. It was based on a lie. It was, not, it was not violent down there. It was violent down there when they brought the cops in on the horses. But it wasn't violent down in downtown Ottawa when the, when the truckers were there. It was, they were cleaning up after themselves. People sure, some people uh, complained. But, it, but that had to do with the noise, but it wasn't, you know, they weren't honking their horns all night long or anything like that. And they weren't leaving garbage on the, on the streets and they weren't using drugs and they weren't getting drunk and they weren't, you know, looting the stores or anything like that. So it's, it's, it, it, you're right about, it's controlling a narrative.
1: And it's scary, right? When everyone's on the same page, when all of these very powerful, right? We've got the administration, we have this. Um, FDA, CDC, NIH, you name it. Social media, corporate media, NGOs,
0: even—all on the same page. And with- the ACLU, Southern Poverty—I mean—and anybody who disagrees with the narrative is deemed to be, you know, if you if you go before a school board and you're a parent, you know, you're a domestic terrorist. If you come out and you question any of the medical science or the corruption behind the medical journals from Nature to Lancet to the New England Journal of Medicine, which have proven to be in the last three years questionable for what they have published just in terms of the lab. They say, no, it didn't come from the lab. Well, the evidence is almost overwhelming now that it did come from the lab, whether it was intentional or not intentional. We've got people in the, in the science field who are working on what I deem to be very dangerous Frankenstein science for the gain of function in the name of, you know, bioweaponry, which is outlawed. I, I mean, it's not even regulated, it's outlawed. So where does this, where does this leave us in terms I mean, do you see a silver lining coming out of this hearing now? Absolutely. I mean, I think. How, how so? Well,
1: I think one thing is that, more people watch this hearing than have watched, you know, certainly some of the other hearings. So I think the message that these witnesses had to share got Mm. out to more people than usual. And they could see, you know, I would love it if all of the constituents of those, all of those members would see how, you know, their representative is in these, you know, hearings, because I feel like a lot of people would question what was going on <laughs> about it, um, and I—I I don't know. I, I also think that there's, you know, certainly Children's Health Defense. You know, we've been fighting <laughs> for our own free speech, you know, for quite some time. We've highly censored. Bobby's been censored. We've been censored, and you know, it's kind of a, a David versus Goliath situation. Um,
0: it has been and you know when i when i was watching bobby how bobby was handling this it you know it's because i was also raised catholic but i i was thinking of something from saint thomas aquinas when he when he wrote about hope in order to have hope you have to be angry at the status quo and the courage to speak up and when bobby did that at the hearing and took them on for the defamation, for the personal attacks, for the misinformation. He even got, he even explained to them the definition of malinformation. We talked about this in the pre-interview when we were chatting. Let's talk about this because there's disinformation, there's misinformation, now there's malinformation, it's a new word. Explain, Explain to the public what these words mean because these are their tools to justify yeah. their actions.
1: Yeah, so disinformation is, you know, the deliberate spreading of false information. It's false and it's deliberate.
0: Mm-hmm. If you talk
1: about misinformation, that's false information that may or may not be, you know, someone might not know, right? They might be sharing it, but they don't know it's false. Now, right. information <laughs> this new word, is true information that I would say is inconvenient. To the powers that be, right? It doesn't go along with that, the narrative um, that everyone wants you all to follow. So, and the idea, and we know this has been happening, right? I mean, it's in a way, it's kind of nice that there's a word for it now that they have been censoring true information because they don't want people to think for them. I mean, they almost are treating, you know, Americans and really people all over the world like children who can't make their own decision, take in information. You know, research things and make a decision for themselves. We're being treated like, like children
0: for you know lack of well, being treated like commodities because it's it, yes, it, because it's a medical experiment. Better. Yes, it's a medical experiment. It's unregulated. It wasn't officially approved. They knew about the harms before. They ever rolled them out They, they to date. And I, can't, I I say this every time I do this type of show, but I want people to know when we get to the point that the FDA, the NIH, the NIAID, the White House and the CDC recognize the vascular and the neurological injuries from the COVID shots, I will correct myself and say, yes, they finally have officially acknowledged them. But we know for a fact from interviewing so many vaccinated on this show and American conversations on our network that in fact, they have been neurologically and vascularly injured. And from our research, we know at least the NIH has known about this since January of 2021. I've been told before that, but we can only attest to January of 2021. And to date, Peter Marks at the FDA has not acknowledged these, even though he has privately told an orthopedic surgeon who's now disabled and cannot um, perform any surgery that he would like to officially acknowledge it, but he's not allowed to. Who do you think Noel is is pulling the strings on this? Oh, god! I mean, is that is if you don't want to speculate, I get it. But I mean, in all, because in order to do your job, you have to be somewhat of a, you know, Sherlock Holmes.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I I think there's a lot of theories about it. Um, I, I don't think I can speculate. I mean, I will say, you know, I think a lot of us understand that, you know, the pharmaceutical industry puts in a lot of money. You know, they're a major funding of the corporate media. They fund, you know, Congress. Um, they fund the FDA. They fund, but I, I don't necessarily think that, you know, they're in the position to pull all of the strings, but they certainly have, you know, they have a lot of money to be made. Right.
0: And Um, that's an elephant in the room that nobody really talks about on Capitol Hill, which is the Pharmaceutical Manufacturing and Research Association, which is the trade association for pharma, which is huge. And it's been one of the most powerful trade associations as long as I've been a journalist, which is 40 years. So these people know how to play the game. They can become proficient at it. And I think it's very interesting when I sit back and I analyze this, we were the first country in the world in the 1980s that put pharmaceutical advertisements yep. on television. And then, and then New Zealand, I think, did it for a while and then they pulled it off and they may have gone back on. But I mean, that, that's it. That, yep. That's it, okay? So we also know that when the internet really started developing and going into people's homes and things like that in the last 20 years that that became another wild west for advertisement for pharma. So it's not, an, it, it's not unusual for me to see the partnership between tech and pharma because yeah. tech is getting money from pharma for the ads that they're putting on. But I think the difference is that now we have the federal government because of the captured, the, the captured you know, entities, yeah of the agencies in the federal government overseeing the pharmaceutical research and approvals, yeah, it's, it's all rolled into one. I mean, how do we resolve this? Because it, it makes sense logically if you're sitting in their shoes. They don't wanna be found out. They don't want the narrative. They wanna, you know, it's not just gaslighting, it's defaming the hell out of people that are speaking up, but it's also intimidating other people so that they're afraid to speak up. And we yeah. see this with the doctors and the medical boards. Yeah. We see it with the people who are now selling supplements to the FDA, you know, for, and, and they're, they're yeah. marketing it to people that are looking for alternative ways who have been COVID injured, or they just don't want to take the shot or they want, they want to know what the early treatments are different for anything. So how how does this, do you think this is going to end up?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I mean, I think part of the challenge, you know, I talked about David and Goliath before, you know, we think about, Children's Health Defense, our government relations team. There's two of us, right? Pharma probably has hundreds of lawyers. It's law- two of you,
0: and you've got all these all these lawyers. Yeah, got, you know most of DC. All right, that's going to be that they're going to have a consortium of Republican and Democratic lawyers coming together on behalf of pharma. They've yep. got tons it's of law-based. money.
1: Yep.
0: Tons of money. They're 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 feeding the money into the FDA so called clinical trials. Yeah. They're paying the lobbyists. They're paying the PR people. I mean, um, Weber had the contract for Pfizer, Moderna, and the CDC all at the same time.
1: It's it, it's incredible. I mean, you know, you point pu- you pointed out regulatory capture is a huge challenge, and you know what that means. In case the audience doesn't know, is you know essentially you have people from the pharmaceutical industry coming in to run these agencies. Um, or they do it after, right? So Gottlieb right. is now on Pfizer's board. I saw that Burks just went to another pharmaceutical company. They oh, which
0: which one? This I, is the one who bragged about that she cured the HIV yeah, for, for 40 Berks. years. Yeah. Mm.
1: yeah, and I forget. Um, my apologies. I forget which one it was. It was just announced this week. Um, and this is what happens. Um, so they, you know, they can kind of make their deals while they're at the agency, and then they've got their cushy job. So that's part of the problem. We have all this patent money that goes to, right? So there's patents um, that the creators, the researchers at NIH and these other agencies get as they're creating Mm -hmm. these drugs, then they get bonuses for it, which go on, you know, I don't have all the details, but from what I understand, you know, that could be like 150 grand a year annually, like as long as those drugs are still you know, being right. used. And so there's so much incentive for, you know, that it's that, you know, often,
0: it's like working at a corporation with the bonuses for the, yes. the lead guys. But, yeah. you know, Fauci was making more money than the president of the United States. His wife yeah. was making more money at NIH overseeing the ethics of clinical trials and it was more money than the vice president was making, and then on top of that, he's getting a bonus, which even the president and the vice president of the United States yeah. technically don't get. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, and
1: you've got you know the journals, as you pointed out, right? They don't let any you know research papers in there that again don't fit that all narrative. the
0: narrative. So that's another that's another way of censorship or gaslighting. People. Yeah,
1: and the medical associations. So that's also a huge challenge. I mean, they're funded by, you know, pharma. Um, they are just yeah, this, a, a great example. So the American um, what is the Association of Pediatricians, AAP, is having mm-hmm. their conference here in Washington, D.C., and they are requiring all of the attendees to be vaccinated for COVID.
0: You know, I have to share this with the audience because uh, one of our contributors to the network is, is David Bell, And he was just telling me that David was just came back from a trip and we were talking yesterday and he was telling me that at the WHO uh, in Geneva, um, there's probably a third of people who are still working at home. Okay, so they're doing this because they're not allowed in the building unless they're vaccinated. So the question comes up, I think that we have to start asking this, how many people at CDC? How many people at FDA, how many people at NIH, how many people at NIAID stateside are working remotely or have chosen not to get vaccinated? I think that would be a very interesting statistic. And I remember when I think it was Walensky testified before Congress, she was asked, I think by Rand Paul, how many people were vaccinated and she said she didn't know. She didn't know, and I think, but three years out now, I think it's a very fair question, for, and it's a barometer type of answer. Absolutely. If you don't know, why don't you know? And number two, uh, because they certainly know at United Airlines, they certainly know at some of these other you know corporations yeah. who's vaccinated, who's not. If they've made it mandatory, Let, Noel, let's let's move to uh, though the lawsuits that you guys are involved in yeah. full disclosure uh you know cdm is a plaintiff in the trust news initiative's lawsuit which you guys are taking the lead on and that's against washington post um not the new york times i think the bbc reuters
1: the uh, associated press and and mm-hmm. reuters yeah mm-hmm. so that essentially what happened in 2020 is you know these normal competitors right they they you, we would all see them as competitors came together to collaborate so that they with Um, big tech, so that they could help shut down uh, conversations. Um, Essentially, it's a, you know, federal antitrust um, lawsuit. Um, And antitrust laws prohibit boycott, group boycott. So that's essentially what happened there. I mean, these are very powerful entities working together, you know, to silence Americans. I
0: mean, well, was- not not only that, but I mean that, that you know I worked at four U.S. networks. That would be like ABC and in, in in the early days of CNN, and I was at ABC, CNN, NBC, and PBS. In the early days of CNN, it was not unusual to have the camera crew guys who were union at the networks, the traditional networks, pull out the, the plugs for the cameras at press conferences for CNN because it was non-union. But I discovered. In 1984, and I'm dating myself, but it was in 1984, uh, we couldn't get an interview with Walter Mondale on camera. And I had this crazy idea that because Lane Kirkland at AFL-CIO was in a fight with Ted Turner at the time because we were non-union at CNN, that that may be the reason. And I asked a friend of mine, Vic Camber, who was uh, a PR guy, Democrat in D.C., represented AFL-CIO to ask Lane Kirkland at the time. He said, I think you're crazy. I said, do me a favor and just ask him. And he called me and he said to me, you're absolutely correct. And I went back to the Mondale campaign and said, if I don't see Walter's face on CNN, I'm going with the story. So I mean, this type of, I don't want to say collusion, okay, but this type of cons- agreement, okay, if you're on the same side of the table or something like that. And in those days, the AFL-CIO and the unions were giving a hell of a lot of money to the Walter Mondale campaign for the presidency. So yeah, people do have agreements like this. I mean, this, this is not conspiracy, this is facts. So yeah. people will have agreements like that. And the fact that Reuters and AP, they would be competitors, their wires. It would be like the the, the networks going against CNN. Or it, it, I mean, th- this this is you know it can be hardball in the news business, but the fact that they did it in, in in conjunction with the government. Yeah, that's. I mean that that that's crossing the line. We are in the business of news to hold people in positions of power accountable. That's our job. And it doesn't matter whether you're Democrat or whether you're Republican, you're the Pope or the president. You have to be willing, if you're going to be a hard news person, to not give a damn of the position somebody's in if you have lives at stake.
1: Yes. And, you know, it's the the censorship. I mean, it's like we're in a dystopian novel, right? I mean, where we're headed here. I mean, it's, it's, it's very, very scary. I mean, we have other lawsuits as well. I mean, you know, we've got a a lawsuit against Facebook um, for censoring us and then colluding with the government, which, oh, hey, and this was 2019. So Mm -hmm. it's very clear that that all happened. Um, And also, you know, within that, you know, CHD lost money, they lost supporters, you name it. I mean, you spend so much time to build up, right, these networks and Ability to get your information out, um, and the censorship is is awful. I mean, the other one we have that's interesting, very interesting to me is we filed a lawsuit against um, Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth you know, Warren, it,
0: it, explain that one. Elizabeth Warren, who's a senator from Massachusetts, yeah,
1: senator from Massachusetts. So it's um, a First Amendment. You know, it's basically a violation of the First Amendment. So she sent a letter to Amazon asking them to, you know, kind of keep an eye on these books um, that basically, again, didn't follow the government narrative and particularly pointed out Dr. McCullough's book, um, The Truth About COVID-19, which, you know, RFK Jr. wrote the foreword for. Um, So very specifically, I mean, we've got someone in what senators are probably some of the most powerful people, U.S. senators in, in the world, I would say. I mean... I don't think I'm exaggerating. And she's sending a letter to Amazon, you know, suggesting that they take a better look at that. I'm sure Amazon, you know, took note of that and, and did some action on
0: it. So what the public needs to know is that one of the easiest ways to figure out the motive behind some of the actions of the people that attacked Bobby in the hearing this week and the actions of somebody like Senator Elizabeth Warren writing that letter about Peter McCullough's book, is people need to go to the FEC and they need to take a look at how many, uh, whether the pharmaceutical companies have made donations directly to their campaigns, whether they, they have made it to their general campaign or their primary campaign, whether or not they've given money to PACs that, in fact, have then given money to some of these people who are actually engaged in the war of censoring people. Yeah, and that's, that, 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 that is clear. So everybody that's out there needs to really, if you've got a congressman in X, Y, and Z, and he's believing in censorship, they need to go and take a look at his donations because if it's coming, yeah. if it's they're being paid. They're being paid. That's the game that's in Washington, D.C. We have got campaign financing so out of control. And I've been one of those journalists who's been around long enough to say, this is craziness in terms of yeah. the money. And everything that's involved in the campaigns. But, you know, if, you, if you're not going to stand up for truth when people are dying and people are used as guinea pigs in medical experiments, you're not prepared for, for the aliens arriving on Earth. There's just no other way to say it. You're just not, you're, you're, you're this is a war zone and people need to wake up and get engaged. Yeah. What, are there any other cases you guys are involved with?
1: You know, those are the main, um, Censorship cases, and there's a number. We have lawsuits across the board. So, part of you know, CHD, as you know, Children's Health Defense works through litigation and advocacy, um, science. We've got a great big science team. So, you could go to um, children'shealthdefense.org, all spelled out, and at the top of the page there, um, there's a legal tab, and you can click on that and learn about all of these lawsuits. And if you're interested, you know, you could certainly support those cases. They require a lot of money. And often what happens, you know, is that, you know, someone like Hochul, Governor Hochul, who's appealing a case in New York about the quarantine camps, you know. Oh, and- that's
0: what we did the interview with Bobby, Bobby Fox, who took that case on. Oh, it's wonderful, created- yeah. Yeah, and this is this is, folks, if you're living in New York, there is a health quarantine law, it's a regulation, it's on the books. It was deemed to be unconstitutional, lacking in due process. A year ago, I think in July, and then Hochul uh, and the attorney general in New York filed a piece of paper saying that they were going to appeal that decision. They didn't do it before the election in 2022, but in January, February of this year, they have appealed it. So people need to start paying attention. And in other states, they have health quarantine laws that were done by the legislation after 9-11 when the Patriot Act came into action.
1: Yeah. And and all of those cases, you know, if there's particular cases, whether it's Bobby um, and Cox's case, or they appeal, they like to draw it out as long as possible. Often, you know, especially with a nonprofit organization, a smaller one, like Children's Health Defense is, you know, they figure they're going to get tired and or can't fund it. Right. So they just draw it out, draw it out, appeal, whatever they can do to kind of stall it. Um, So that's why they end up.
0: You there's know. also a strategy here, too, that they are breaking the law. They, they've got smart enough lawyers in the room to know that they're going to break the law. And they know that there's probably going to be a lawsuit. And so they're governing by litigation at this point in time. There's enough volume out there that that's how they're doing it. They'll have an executive order come down from the White House, and then it'll be challenged in the courts. They'll have a regulation in, in, on the state level. That will be challenged in the court. There'll be legislation in the state legislature but that will be challenged in the court. I mean, it's 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 really something to see this go around that we're we're being governed by the court's decisions.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's sh- and you know, as you pointed out, you know, the censorship it costs people lives. I mean, the mm. lack of knowledge about, you know, a-
0: oops, there was a mistake there. The, I was
1: just going to say, you know, people didn't learn about safe, effective treatments, other things that they could do. Um, the censorship killed people. The censorship, mm-hmm. I think that's fair to say. And it's going to continue potentially. I mean, I, I'm optimistic. I think this hearing really this week was um, a good opportunity to talk about what's really happening and for people to understand that, you know, it's not a small thing. Censorship.
0: No, it's not. And you guys are going to need some money and donations to go forward for for your legal lawsuits that affect everybody, not just here in the United States, but across the world. Uh, Noelle, how do they get to, how do they get to your website again? And how do they get to the donating money to you for the yeah,
1: children's health So it's all spelled out. Um, and at the top of the page there, there's tabs. There's tabs about covid legal. You can donate right there as well. We have CHDTV. We've created our own media network because we've been censored so much. So you can sign up there. You can look, we do morning shows and share the news and lots of amazing interviews. Uh, during the pandemic, I got much of my information from CHDTV.
0: Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you're with Children's Self-Defense. I know that this Me is too. a David and Goliath war that's out there, but you know, I, I think you're competent. I have to ask you just signing off. What was the reaction uh, after the hearing ended? And did did the news media swarm, Bobby?
1: Oh, I'm glad you asked this. So, yes, news media did. And, you know, someone handed a book, Fauci books. People were trying to get selfies. And what was really nice, I thought, too, and and very encouraging for me um, is, you know, we went into the committee room. And all of the committee staffers on on the Republican side were there. They were very excited to even just say hello, um, to shake his hand. Um, they, and, and they're all, you know, generally younger, younger people, you know, those staffers. So I, that encourages me a lot, that there's like a lot of young people that are understanding what's going on. Um, And that really, you know, respect what Bobby has to say, even if they don't necessarily agree with him on all the things they recognize that censorship is very dangerous. Um, Well, it's very it's
0: very it's not only dangerous for the truth, for any of the media that are looking at this, any of my brethren out there. If we have censorship, we're out of jobs as investigative journalists and television producers. We're absolutely out of the jobs because that negates freedom of the press.
1: Yeah, and we don't want that.
0: No, we don't. We don't. Uh, it's necessary for democracy. Noelle Callahan, thank you for joining us. Please come back and update us as this proceeds because I yeah. know the, the, the David the Goliath war is not over.
1: <laughs> it is not. Well, thanks so much. Appreciate you having us on. Thanks for all your hard work.
0: Thank you. See you soon.